to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harding. Today's topic is mental health, the Enneagram, and the church. Wow, we have been taking on some big topics lately, and you're probably wondering why it's Mental Health Month this October. And as much as we want to celebrate the love and fun and happy sweetest day this weekend, we also want to make sure that you are well equipped for the daily muck and mire, which sometimes frankly does involve deep delves into the world of mental health issues. Almost everybody has mental health issues when they meet with their therapist or coach that first session. They say, I hate to tell you, but I do have some skeletons in the family closet. And I don't think I've ever come across a client who has said otherwise, not yet at least. There's been a couple who are like, you know what? We are so healthy generationally that we are so blessed and it is pretty easy but we have this uncle over here. So I think that it's really just life and being absolutely honest and bold and just talking about it and giving grace and making sure that we're well-equipped when we do run into mental health issues, both in our families and our marriages, as well as in our churches, because frankly, that's where a lot of people do gather for community. If you're a person who has decided you want to improve in your life, a lot of the time you don't go to the local country club. A lot of the time you don't just join a gym. You end up saying, I want to join a church where I can meet with people who are holding some of the same values as me. And we're not the same, but we get it that we're both on this mission to do the best we can for God in the world. Sometimes, however, when we're dealing with issues like infertility, miscarriage, mental health addictions, abuse, affairs, you name it, we become ostracized in the church unintentionally oftentimes because we're not thinking clearly about how we can help others. We might be afraid. And today I have a wonderful expert on with me, Alexandra Thompson, LCSW. She is a phenomenal person who also happens to house an awesome, beautiful space in her church for people to come and to learn about mental health issues and to learn about how to heal from those issues. And we talk about stigma and we talk about the ways that the church has unintentionally hurt us over the years, personally and as a society. But we also talk about the ways that we can be the church to others who are hurting once we've done our work. So I think you're going to be really encouraged by this episode. And I think that you're going to really enjoy hearing about what you can do specifically, she has five great tips for us as to what we can actually do to bless others that we encounter and even just to do our own work. So I'm really thankful for this. I want to make sure you're well-resourced. So you can check out the show notes for those resources as well. And then also stay tuned for other episodes this month. We're talking about the nine types and what mental health disorder they correspond to. But we're also going to be talking about, I have somebody coming on to talk about adoption and infertility, and we still have have our in-laws issues, which can be a whole host of other mental health issues, both ourselves and dealing with them sometimes, as well as them dealing with us or perhaps just knowing, hey, we're not the healthiest family on the block, but we've got lots of love in our own ways and gifting. So we're going to do all that. But first, I want to get to our wonderful, wonderful guest, Alexandra Thompson. So here we go, guys. So I am so excited to have Alexandra Thompson. She's an LCSW, guys. And for those of you who don't know, this is a highly specialized clinical social worker. Thank you so much for coming on, Alex. So happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. Well, we are just having such a fun episode and you have to laugh at two therapists who are going, this is so fun. We're talking about mental health issues. <laughs> so 
Absolutely. <laughs> but it's like our heart. So, and now that I'm a coach and I'm talking with therapists on the show, I'm just loving it. So I still have the heart of a therapist and I'm so honored you're here today as a mental health therapist, basically, for those of you who don't know the differentiation between social workers and therapists. Do you have any other differentiations for us, Alec? I would say a clinical social worker is a mental health therapist who just has been trained through the lens of social work, which means we have a really holistic view of the client, meaning we're not just going to focus on mental health. We're also going to focus on the social environment and all of that, um, which, so, which is pretty cool in my opinion. It's just a very holistic view of the client, what, what social work is. Oh, I love that. And that feels like such a good fit for our Enneagram topics because yeah. that's what's so attractive, right? And I always did family systems work. So for the same yes. reason that we just really want to give that whole look, it doesn't just say, oh, just listen to them or just right. analyze their mothers and fathers, but it's a whole lens. So it's they. everything, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And let's talk a bit about Enneagram. We always love to start there when we can. Do you know your Enneagram type? I do. I am a three-wing two mm. and uh, pretty clearly a three-wing two. I can't, like, there, there is nothing that can describe <laughs> me better than a three-wing two. But we were just talking about this, Krista, that for a long time, I thought I was a seven because I always kind of saw myself as like a little golden retriever, like running around underneath the table, like just excited about life, you know, mm. which I am. Uh, and then when I found out truly what I am is a three, I was a little embarrassed about it because threes, as you guys know, are success driven. And mm -hmm. so in my mind, I was like, I'm not successful enough. How can I be a three? You know, anybody who finds out I'm a three will know that I'm not good enough to be a three. And then, mm -hmm. after, you know, after a bit of time, I realized, yep, that sounds like a three. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is so telling when you guys find your type and you feel that shame rise up. You're mm -hmm. like, uh, that's me. <laughs> that's the that's one. Me. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that you found it because we are honored to have you guys really emit the glory of God. You really do make the world see the beautiful possibilities. And especially when you rise up in your gifting. So I know that's just part of the journey. Mm -hmm. It's owning who we are. I was even in bed thinking, deep this morning. And I was like, Krista, don't go off. You have to get practical. Don't start withdrawing. But I was thinking about how in our personality types, and I was thinking that sometimes we sevens want to bring the joy and enthusiasm to the world because yeah. we're trying to make up for the sadness. So there's almost like, it's a really sad day. So we're going to be like, yay. Hi. So if you ever hear me on the podcast in this season of COVID and you're like, why is she an special, like, joyful person today. It might be one of those days where I'm like, oh gosh, the world needs this. And so I yeah. know you're that same way when you're thinking about, oh gosh, I really don't want to be bragging, but don't you just notice sometimes that your gift is needed in the world, especially in mental health, I bet. My three or yes, my, yes. my, my sevenness, which is not true. Um, <laughs> you're three. Yeah. Yeah, I think absolutely. But what's interesting about being a three in the mental health world that I'm finding, not a lot of therapists are threes. A lot mm. of therapists are twos. Mm. Um, so mm. the fact that I, this, this threeness comes out in this like entrepreneurial spirit that I have and this drive to make things happen and, and do events and, you know, kind of think outside the box. I am not great with policies and procedures. I'm not great with black and white, but I'm really good with like, let's imagine, you know, something that we can do six months from now 
um, and let's go knock on every door and talk to every person that we can for how to make that happen. Mm. And I find that a lot of therapists are too, is because they, they want to take care of people and they want to be there for people. But I find that they're also not quite as thinking outside the box because we're trained so intensely to follow all the rules to the T and be extremely ethical. And sometimes when you're, you know, kind of pinned down to rules, you, you don't, um, have big dreams and big visions, you know, not Mm -hmm. to say that that's not normal for therapists. A lot of therapists are excellent with that too. That's just kind of a pattern I'm seeing that, Mm -hmm. you know, even that is, a little bit like, am I allowed to be a therapist and a three? You know, does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I have two twos on my staff who we're going to hear from the wonderful Melissa on another episode and Glenda um, Mm. on trauma, but they're so gifted within their framework. Like you said, they're so nurturing and loving and we're all going to appreciate them in a different way because they have that gift, but they don't usually say, Hey, can I take the lead on a project the way you would? Or, right now you're in the perfect field of social work with this advocacy piece that you love. So this is a huge gift to the mental health world is we need people who are sort of driving us forward on these projects and missions. And that's why I'm excited about this episode today. It's October. It's mental health awareness month. This is why I really want to focus in on topics today that you're going to be hearing about. But Alex is a specialist and she's also a trained Christian professional, which we know is wonderful because some of us have memories of backwoods Christian teachers doing their best. God love yeah. the work they did, the work you and I probably did before we were therapists or coaches, but really it's a beautiful thing to be able to say, I've taken my craft and I've honed it. And this is my shared value system with a lot of people who may have Judeo-Christian values and really want somebody that lines up with that or yeah. somebody who respects them no matter where they come from. I'm sure you're this way in your practice, but I always welcome anybody from any walk of life. Is that how you are too? Oh, 100%. Yes. Mm, That's awesome. So basically, we're talking about reducing stigma today, and we don't want you to be giving labels to people, and especially yourself, that aren't fair, but it's just going to be a way for you to understand and educate yourself about roadmaps and places you might want to go and missions that you're on to be the best version of yourself and the healthiest version. And sometimes that roadmap is knowing, okay, if I'm at my darkest, deepest place, this might be where I struggle the most. So stay tuned for that because that's a huge piece of today and I'm going to take some time with it. But first we have to get kind of gutting into why is this topic important? And I want to hear if you don't mind, Alex, a little bit about yourself and why you're passionate about mental health and the church and all things like this. Oh, yes. So, so this is the thing that I am most excited to talk about. Um, I truly believe that our mental health is the foundation for how we view everything. Mm -hmm. I believe it's the foundation for how we view ourselves, for how we view the world around us, um, even for how we view God. And if that's true, and since that's true, you know, it's, it's almost like we can't truly believe that everyone in a congregation or everyone inside of a church is going to understand God in the same way, or is going to be able to even relate to God in the same way, in a healthy way, relate to God in the way that he would, you know, that, uh, that is of truth, I'll mm-hmm. say, um, if someone's mental health is wounded, or if someone is experiencing mental illness even uh, for a season of their life. Um, And what I mean by that, not that you certainly, and please don't hear this. I'm not at all saying 
if you have mental illness, you can't understand God. That's not at right. all what I'm saying. Right. But what I'm saying is if you grew up, you know, most of your life or especially in your childhood where you received messages that were lies about who you are or about who others are, for example, but you believed them as true, it's going to be, it's going to require a lot of unlearning and then relearning of what is true. And that's really hard to do completely on your own. And if somebody, you know, if you grew up with, let's say an abusive parent or an abusive caretaker, um, let's say your father, just as an easy example, was somebody who was demeaning or someone who was really shaming or someone who, you know, sent passive aggressive messages that were intended to keep you in line by utilizing shame. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I mean, how could you as an adult not struggle with uh, the fact that God truly is a loving father and isn't shaming you and isn't mm-hmm. manipulating you and isn't, you know, trying to keep you in line through utilizing shame. Mm. So that's what I mean. I, because the foundation, because our mental health is the foundation for how we view everything. Um, mm-hmm. And the church, you know, the reason that we have youth groups and work with youths in our group, in our church is because we want to meet people at their foundational level. We want to educate them on who Jesus is and who God says he is and who God says they are as young as possible, because we would love for the majority of their life, um, for them to have that understanding and that truthful knowledge. Right. Mm. And I believe that the same is true about mental health in, in 10 or 15 years, maybe I would love for that to be the same situation where if someone were to say, does your church have, you know, anything for mental health, we would all kind of scratch our head and be like, yeah, cause we're the church and we care about you at your foundational level. That's why I think this is so important. Mm, Wow. You really said a lot of beautiful words there. I'm just so thankful that there are people like you in the world. I know. I mean, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I really uh, resonate with when you talked even about the father wound. I know there's an excellent book out there that really shook my husband and I up years ago called Faith of the Fatherless by Paul Vitz, where it talked about the psychology of atheism and how a lot of people really are wounded to that point of feeling so dark and shamed that they can't imagine a loving father. Yeah. And I really think that you're blessing others when you say, let's try to go back to the foundation yeah. and let's try to look and see what was missing in your earliest developmental years. Because as I've been sharing my daughter and I going through her psychology class, it's so sad how much you forget when you're like, oh, I should, this should be an easy teach psychology. (laughs) I have a master's in this. And it's like psych 101. Both my daughters are taking it one at the college level and one at the high school level. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So it's really good. forgot all about that. Yeah. These great (laughs) basic brain tools that I'm seeing and the routes we take through our brain are fascinating to remind of just how early patterns are in place. So if anyone is wondering what place does psychology have in the church, we're just both so passionate about it for this reason, right, Alex? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just one thing I was going to add there was I really believe that the church should be leading the way in this too. I think along the way, the church kind of got scared, um, scared mm-hmm. of liability or scared of dabbling in something you know, that, that they're not precisely trained on like mental health. And, and I think a lot of times scripture has kind of been skewed 
mm-hmm. when it's taught from the pulpit, I think it's a lot of scripture is, is skewed in order to shame people into staying in their lane or staying mm-hmm. in their place. And so I think a lot of scriptures have been used against treating mental health as if to say, if you have Jesus, if you truly have a relationship with the Lord, if you really have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, then you shouldn't have these types of problems. And I think, you know, I think that's why the church tends to struggle with this. The smallest percentage of our population who feels confident in reaching out for mental health care is the evangelical church. Mm. And the statistic is not that the even, you know, members of the evangelical church are not experiencing the same issues. It's that they do not feel comfortable. They do not feel like they have the right to reach out for mental health care because Mm. they're Christians. And gosh, how sad that is. And gosh, how perpetuating trauma that could potentially cause, you see. Mm. Um, So in my mind, I believe that the church should be the ones with the PhDs. We should be the ones doing the research. We should be the ones getting our hands messy in these messy topics that are uncomfortable topics. Whatever comes to mind, that's what we should be leading the way in researching and caring for. Absolutely. And the timing of this episode during and after and in COVID and elections is it's essential. Absolutely. Of essence, because this is so sad. When you remind me of that statistic, I'm reminded of the CDC statistic that basically right now people are three to four times as anxious and depressed as they were last year. Right. So it's like, wow, that's a lot more people. And it's so sad. And the CDC, like I said, statistic, so I can leave it in the show notes as well. But it's really important that you guys understand if you're a Christian, if you're not, pay attention to your mental health. But we get it if you have not been given permission, because that's part of my story. And before we get there, I want to ask you, what's your passion behind it? Do you have a strong connection as to why you feel extra passion? Is there anything personal to this? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think that the majority of people who become counselors or get into the field mm-hmm. of mental health, they do that because they, uh, they've had personal experience with it or they've experienced you know, a major hardship or trauma or something like that in their life that they had to overcome mm-hmm. by doing a whole lot of work. And because of that, they want to walk alongside or they feel called to walk alongside others there too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I was raised in a little bit of a messy family. And, um, you know, we went to church sort of on the major holidays and every now and then, but I wouldn't say that we were a churched family. We weren't the, the, the image of that family that comes to mind when I say that, that wasn't our family. In fact, we were probably the opposite of that family. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I became a Christian, I was a senior in high school Mm -hmm. and, and then went off to college and started to get to know other families who were raised in the church. I absolutely felt that stigma of you know, you guys had problems growing up. You guys let other people see your problems. You guys uh, weren't perfectly put together on the outside. I don't know about you. That's not something I'm comfortable with. There was definitely a stigma, even just in, you know, messiness, just in me being someone who was working on my own healing sort of out loud, you know, Mm. not in a, not in an uh, um, obnoxious kind of way or not in a, you know, aggressive or 
inappropriate kind of way, but just sort of like wrestling with things because I, I, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I had to figure these things out on my own and doing that and seeking care and seeking advice, you know, along the way, I absolutely saw that stigma that, you know, when you're a Christian, you should not have any of these issues. And I just think that's bogus. <laughs> mm, wow. Yeah. And I think that's really something like you said that you felt when you evaluated yourself and compared yourself to other families was, wait a minute, maybe I don't belong here, or maybe I should keep this quiet that we're not a perfect family. Did you have some feelings like that sometimes? I did. Yeah. Um, and I, and various members of my family, you know, the really cool thing is all of my siblings are Christians mm. and all of their spouses are Christians now. Wonderful. Yeah, which is amazing. And I think we've all struggled with it a little bit differently. But yeah, that sense of like, I'm also just a very genuine person, I'll say like, I, I don't tend to really hide things. So if I have, if something kind of strikes me in an emotional way, I'll feel it and I'm okay with it. I'm not really a stuffer. I'm not a hider, mm -hmm. things like that. So I did have to kind of come to terms with what should I share? What shouldn't I share? And obviously learning how to be safe and all of that too. I, I didn't want to, you know, you never want to just share everything to everyone. But yeah, just kind of wrestling that. But I would say definitely more so with members of the church. What should I talk about? What's okay to talk about? What's okay to show out loud about who I am and what's not okay just based on these ambiguous unspoken rules of being mm -hmm. a Christian. Meanwhile, there's 30 or 40% of the church at some point is going to struggle with anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. Yet that yes. other statistic says that they feel that they're not able to go and seek assistance for it. And 14% of pastors believe that they are capable of handling things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a problem there. And mm -hmm. the church is you know, you know, one thing I like to talk about is there was a steeple for a reason. A long time ago, there was a steeple on top of churches so that someone could stand on a hill and survey the community and always know where, you know, quote, the hospital was. And somewhere along the line, we just kind of removed that from our identity. We no longer want to be that hospital. We want to be cool and exciting and engaging. And yes, we want to lead people to, um, you know, to eternal life in Jesus, but because of uh, liability and things like that, I think we've kind of steered clear of some of the messy parts of people's lives and that's really hurting people. Mm. And I just, you know, that's kind of where all this is coming from. The church should be leading the way. We should be the best. We have the gospel. We have the truth. We got to march forward with the truth and professionally, ethically caring for people's mental health. Right. It's like now that Francis Schaeffer quote, how shall we then live is, yeah, you've got eternal life, but how are you going to live while you're here? Right. Because this place is tough, right? I mean, especially yeah. earth 2020, my favorite meme so far is the one I'm seeing about October peeking its head out as a gremlin waiting under the water for <laughs> the after midnight crazy change. And I'm just like, yeah, like being a Christian in this moment, being somebody who has a faith, you still are shaken. And yeah, that statistic about the church and in general, one out of five people struggle with mental health. I think you're really doing us all a service when you say, let's really open up about this. Christianity Today has done some great work in this as well. Mm -hmm. Amy Simpson has had some awesome stories about her own mother's mental health journey where she was able to say, I did not have the care I needed from the church because of 
things that were happening back then, like you said, when the church got into fear. And I never really processed it like that, that the church had this period of fear for mental health issues. But when I think about it, when I was growing up, my mom was in that generation of the 70s having mental health struggles in the 80s. And you're kind of going past the Timothy Leary, LSD, Charles Manson stage of people really can lose their minds. And so I think the church probably had some major fears and some separation of we don't want psychotic people in our walls. But what happens is there's a lot of caring people who do need medical attention. And often, let's be real, they do have not just anxiety, depression, um, but maybe more severe forms where there is some psychosis involved at least once or twice and they get hospitalized or become suicidal or their addiction has taken such an extreme turn that they're violent. And what do we do with people like this? And you and I as children had to realize it's not always going to be packaged in a pretty bow. And my story was really not knowing that my mom was unsafe during a few periods of time because it happened before I was cognizant. But then hearing the stories, asking her and saying, is this true about you? And her saying, yes, that was very difficult because she's like, I take a medication that manages this and I feel sad about it, but this is something I'm doing a good job with. So you can trust me. Mm -hmm. Worse though, was going to the church and feeling ostracized. I actually have diary entries still Mm -hmm that say, I am so happy church was closed today. Yes. Mm. And I just write about my thrills that I didn't have to go to this judging center. And we hear a lot of podcasts nowadays about the spiritual trauma. And it's largely because we're missing each other at those levels of mental health care. Don't you think? I absolutely agree. The church somewhere along the lines kind of wanted to take our true humanity out. Like we're supposed to be this spiritual Jesus follower, you know, perfect robot where everyone dresses the same, votes the same, looks the same, has the same kind of small issues, and we just don't talk about anything else. But what happens when we do that, when we live that way, is we're taking our humanity, our messiness, our realness out. That's where unconditional love is seen. That's where, you know, bonding comes in and attachment, you know, fully attached relationships come in when you're in a situation where you don't have to hustle to be loved. Mm -hmm. And in the church, unfortunately, and I love the church. I work for a church. Mm -hmm. I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. I love Jesus. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, having to hustle to be loved is rampant in the church. You Mm -hmm. need to hustle. You need to look a certain way, be a certain way, talk a certain way to be, quote, unconditionally loved in the church. Oh my goodness. You have spoken truth, girl. (laughs) Just like I feel you on every possible level. So, ah, this is so needed. You guys just let that sink in a little bit and marinate because she's right. And if you've had this kind of experience, we want you to be the face of change and the face of unconditional love. And I know that's an idealistic statement for me to make. And you're much more pragmatic than me. Thank God I have Alex here to balance me out because she's going to give us five tips. (laughs) But I'm going to challenge you to be the face of the church. (laughs) And we want those faces to look different. And so does Alex. And we want you to fill them in with your life stories. And I can only just say that despite the craziness of growing up in this kind of environment where my public school was my safe place and my church was my nemesis, I really found 
that there were a few people that I can still remember their names who really blessed me in that building. And of course we know the church is more than a building, but that's where I spent most of the time there. So there were a few who said, I really care about you and I want to show your family love. And it meant the world to me and my mom when she would get a hello from the pastor or even the pastor's wife or a secret sis gift because she was a gift giver and she loved to leave secret sis gifts and was high East Coast fashion in her heyday. So for her to have struggled really took her down so many notches just to be loved. Sometimes you think, what can I do? And it's literally just saying hi to somebody and meeting their eyes. And she would come home to my, at that time, more skeptical father who would say, you know, I've taken care of this woman and helped her to find her psychiatric diagnosis, given her her meds, which saved her life. And then she's going to this church, which largely abandoned her. But when she would say, somebody said hello to me today, it brought this peace and calm over the family. Like maybe we're not so shunned. Maybe we're okay. And there was this happiness and we would go get KFC fried chicken which I'm learning in my daughter's kitchen chemistry class is like the worst thing you can eat, but but this is the 80s. So we're just going to celebrate it for what it was. Right. We had our good days because people did show love. And I'm sure that's your experience too growing up is not everyone is like that. There are some amazing people because the church is full of people who want to grow and that's a great place to be. So did you have some positives too about it? You know, it's funny that you asked that because I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, I hope no one is hearing me that I think the church is just a bad place full of bad people. I absolutely, I do not believe that the church is a bad place full of bad people. I think the church is a healing, restorative place, a place that wants you not only to have a good life here on earth, but wants you more than anything to be able to live in eternity with Jesus. And and they will do whatever they think is the best thing for them to do based on their training to get you to a place where you can acknowledge and understand and fall in love with and be be saved by Jesus. And there's nothing better than that. That's a beautiful thing. The emphasis that I put on Christians just tend to do whatever they, they think or whatever they've been trained is the best thing to do often means using shame tactics and judgment to keep people in line so that they are too afraid to sin. Um, Oh my gosh. Yes. Right. And so, you know, I, I think if we did a better job of teaching from the pulpit how to care for messy people, how to care for mental illness and all of that, if we started to impart training and destigmatized mental illness and mental health care from the church, then not only will we have the beautiful parts that we already do so well as the church, which is like, we will literally die for you to know Jesus. I mean, that's an incredible thing, but we will also have the right training for how to become more trauma informed in the church, how to love people better, how to actually see people, you know, even in their mess and let people know, especially like new people entering into the church, that they are loved by Jesus, by them, no matter what, and hustling is not necessary here. And if you put both of those things together, blam, I mean, we will be exactly who the church was supposed to be. Right. People will be in their giftings without being shamed into them. Right. And I mean, when you say all that, I just have such hope. It's like, I don't know if I should have beams of joy or ball because it's just so needed and has been so needed. And Mm -hmm. there are finally voices rising up and, oh my gosh, like I said, now we need them 
50 times as much. Well, technically speaking, three to four times as much, but I mean, we do. So thank you because this is something we do have pastors listening in and pastoral families Mm -hmm. take these words and think about these situations we're both sharing of maybe we're the family that we're the PK kids, the pastor's kids or the MK kids, the missionary kids who really didn't have any voice or place to say what was really happening under the surface. And of course, growing up with those kids, I always thought they had it all and, and that they were judging me. And now I know they were dealing with their own stories too. So I think we're really opening up and doing some top down and bottom up processing to say, Hey, let's expose that we're all vulnerable, that we're all broken and let's sit with people in their brokenness. And each church now has to decide how they'll do this. But I know you're going to give us some tips, but one thing I really loved about uh, the way my church grew over the years is it truly changed. There were leadership changes. And by the time my mom and dad um, passed into heaven, my mom's last night of her life was spent with my dad, bringing her to church to watch an evangelical movie with their Bible study. They had a great night and they were able to go to that same church under a pastor who let my mom come to worship, even though a lot of the time she was garbled and didn't even have sense because she had had a stroke. To have moved from this place of shaming to this place of healing. And of course, there's a place where sometimes you might, if somebody's going out of it, you might have to say, well, they're going to sit in this room so that we can have a sense of service where we, it does make sense and we don't have somebody crying out loudly. Um, But some of those memories are vivid for even my husband and I, when we went different church with two autistic girls who sat and sometimes would make loud squawks during the service. And we both felt proud to attend that church. So I think there's something to be said for just even during church service within a reasonable limit to let people be human. Mm-hmm. So I know you're going to give us the tips on that, but those were things that moved me and blessed me a lot. So um, I'll let you get to your tips. But before we get to that, I do want to really quick ask you a little bit about, you mentioned the shame and you do some work under helping people to be a little bit more curious than shaming when they're asking people questions about mental health. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that. That's just one of the aspects of becoming more trauma-informed recognizing that not everybody has had the exact same upbringing or the exact same life experiences that, Mm -hmm. that you might've had. Um, You know, one thing I say is, can you imagine if someone has been, and this is going to be sort of, you know, powerful language here, but if someone had been, you know, shot in the stomach and they were incredibly wounded, obviously by this shot, Mm-hmm. But that shot, that wound was never healed or it wasn't properly attended to. It wasn't properly mended. Mm-hmm. And then let's say you're, you're in church or you're in you know, a Bible study or, or something like that. And you don't know this person very well. You're kind of getting to know them and you know, you're trying to make relationship with them and you kind of like smack them on the stomach a little bit. And you're like, you know, tell me, tell me about that story or whatever, you know, story can come to your mind through this. And that person, you know, jumps back and kind of yells at you or jumps back in a sort of like, whoa, 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 don't touch that or don't touch me there. Mm-hmm. Right. If you, if you didn't know about their trauma, you would probably go, okay, crazy, and then leave them. And that's the end of the relationship. Gosh, I can't believe that person just responded that way. Mm-hmm. When in reality, the person responded that way because they have an incredible wound that was just accidentally poked by you. It was just mm. accidentally, you know, triggered. Oh my gosh. Yes. You, you don't know that. Um, and maybe they don't even totally know that, mm-hmm. but becoming more trauma informed is being able to say, 
gosh, this person just had a reaction or this person just uh, changed a little bit in how we've been communicating with it, with each other. Something is going on. Some, you know, and then asking questions sort of like, Hey, I noticed that you jumped back a bit or, Hey, I noticed that you're pulling away from me a little bit where I thought we were getting closer. Is there something that I might not have understood that I triggered for you or something, you know, maybe, maybe I said or did something that made you feel uncomfortable. Could you share that with me? Because I want to make sure that I know you better or know you the best that I can and make sure that I don't potentially, you know, hit that wound again. Mm. That's what trauma. Yeah. Being more trauma informed in the church means. It just means not judging, um, when someone shows you that something didn't quite hit right with them. And in fact, becoming curious about what was it that was underneath that Mm -hmm. rather than believing that, you know, you know, and, and have a, you know, fortune teller globe on your, you know, countertop that, you know, everything they've experienced and you know where that came from. So you just shut it down. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't. And the truth is, is that no one, is an expert in anyone else's lives other than them. You can't be an expert in anyone else's lives, only mm-hmm. they can. So if there's something that you're picking up on, getting curious about that and saying, can you tell me a little bit more about what happened? Um, and at least giving that opportunity is the best way that we can become you know, gently trauma-informed. Now, the flip side of that is if somebody is not willing to heal or not willing to talk about it, is consistently becoming aggressive or, you know, if, if wounds are getting poked and they're not willing to talk about it or seek any healing or assistance in it, that could mean that at this point, that person isn't a safe person. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just need to, you know, kind of meet them where they're at, that they're not quite ready to go deeper into their own healing, but it still doesn't mean that we shut them down or write them off or forget about them altogether. It just means that at this season in their life, they're not extremely safe and we need to put some boundaries around them knowing that they do have the propensity to, you know, get a little bit triggered. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Oh my gosh. Yes. You just touched on so many things. First of all, just, I saw your three heart, hugest heart that you were really looking at people's emotions and you explained how you can see them. And that is a therapeutic skill that we learn when we're doing our therapeutic training, but that you're frankly better at than me. Cause I'll be like talking to my clients are like, I'm like falling over here and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, so this is the difference between coaching and therapy guys. Coach might miss this and I have to do my work. And that was the other thing that I was going to say is kind of underneath what you're packaging, which is we have to do our own work in order to see that because otherwise we're like, and my example was I'm goal driven. So sometimes I have to look and be sitting with people and withdrawing and just kind of balancing out my Enneagram stuff, but people are, can be downright traumatized. So when we're asking them to do the work with others in the church, what we're really saying is, and correct me if I'm wrong on your end, but what I'm saying is do your work so that you can do this in the church. If you're part of church leadership, Understand that for you to come down from your trauma and assess your own anxiety, depression, addictions, etc., there's a requiring for you to do this so that you can minister to those people and even see them. 100%. In fact, that's number one of the five tips. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Tell me the five tips. Well, you, it's funny because I kind of touched on one too. So I was like, oh, we're opening in. We're getting into yes. it. Yes. Isn't that perfect? <laughs> it's perfect. What you said was so keen. And even how you kind of brought it back around to therapists, how we treat people in session, 
we can, you know, therapists will say with, you know, among our little circles, we'll say, you cannot go deeper with a client than you've been willing to take yourself. Exactly. And you also can't work harder than a client is willing to work, right? So we have to balance that constantly. Mm -hmm. We cannot do the therapeutic work that we are called to do, that we're trained to do as well if we have not spent the time and paid the money and spent the energy to work out our own trauma, to work out our own hurts, habits, and hangups, if you will. The same is true for us in the church as well. You will not be able to fully, you know, dive into someone's mess where you're not trying to fix them or you're not trying to control their emotions or you're not trying to control their responses to things if you don't know what it feels like to sit with your own emotions. You can't sit with someone else's emotions and let them work through that while you support them if you're uncomfortable with emotions. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, it sure does. And that's why I am always amazed when I have heart people in my life to remind me to go to that emotional place and to just say, okay, what is really happening underneath the surface of the people's lives in the room or the church or Walmart? And hopefully we're not at Walmart's during this crazy time because I'm sure the people of Walmart are out of control. Um, and I, no judgment. I'm sure some of us, that's our favorite store or our only store around. Um, yeah. And it's good sales. But it's like, I get it that you're really like, it's time to do our own work and to make sure that before we try to minister to others. We've done that. So we're not manipulative. We've all felt, and I've had so many clients over the years that they felt the sticky, yucky, manipulative feeling of welcome to our church. Now go put on your work coat and get busy. Yes, there's a call on the church to go and make disciples of all nations, but there's also a sense of where are you at? Like, let me get a gauge for you. Do you need a sanctuary first? Are you ready to serve? And then even when you do serve, are we making sure you're serving in a way that is safe to you? Right. Ooh. Oh, that's, that's a great, that's great tip. Absolutely. So the very first tip of my five tips mm-hmm. um, for what can the church do to become the five tips are for what can my church do to become a safer space or to become more trauma informed. So here are the five things and I don't have to go into all of them, but that very first one Mm -hmm. is start your own healing journey. Mm. Know what it feels like to have to sit on that couch while someone dives in and, and opens up an extremely intimate therapeutic relationship with you working on your own stuff, like working through your own crap. If you've never been in that kind of situation where you've been vulnerable in front of someone where you've cried in front of them and you've spoken about your trauma and you've, you know, had someone uh, validate your experiences and also hold you accountable to what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for, you will not be able to fully understand what it feels like when someone enters your church and is in that situation now you won't be able to understand their experience because you haven't ever sat on that couch. You see what I'm saying? Oh yeah, absolutely. So start your own healing journey. Know what that feels like to get vulnerable and intimate and dive into those hard spaces in your life so that you can heal. Because again, you can all, you can't go deeper with others than you've gone with yourself. Mm. You, you can't hold space 
for other people's pain and trauma and emotions if you have never had space held for you, if you, if you can't hold space for your own trauma and emotions. And know that it's layered work because even though I explained on our tri-type episode on how I had to go gather my heart and my body work, I still have to do that. As you heard me saying, like I still have to be, I have to sometimes say to clients, tell me if you're getting emotional and I'm missing it. I'm so passionate that people know the work is ongoing. You know, it isn't, I did three sessions with a CBT therapist. It's, are you in your work now? Because something I pray about with my staff is that they, and I tell them this at our quarterly meetings, please don't take anybody on if you can't right now. I really want to do this work for myself. And I know you're the same way, Alex. Like, and it doesn't, when we're ready, it does not mean we're not scared. It doesn't mean we don't fall. It just means that we're engaged and we're actively pursuing what we believe to be our moral ethic and our standards versus, okay, I'm off here, like full on cracked out in my addiction, not looking in at myself at all. And I'm asking somebody else to change. And I'm giving an extreme example, but frankly, there is an opiate crisis in this country. So I am going to say it. And there is an alcohol issue in this country. So I am going to say it. It's okay to take a Sabbath and say, I'm human, I'm fallen, but do your own work so that people's lives don't get messed up by you trying to give advice and soliciting things that are really your own inner stuff, your own transference going on. Ooh, absolutely. Yeah. And no, I thought that was a, I thought it was a great example. Honestly, if you are deep into your addiction, it is not the right time for you to be uh, supporting other people out of their addiction because you don't know how to get out of it right? Mm -hmm. Something that came to my mind as you were sharing that was I have struggled with infertility. My son, who's like magic, you know, best thing in the whole world. We adopted him. He's so cute. Um, He's just absolutely precious. Oh, he's so beautiful. Um, (laughs) But we tried for three and a half years to get pregnant with him and my body, you know, just wouldn't. Now we're trying to give him a brother or sister and we're starting, you know, trying to get pregnant Uh, and do it biologically. We're just kind of spending a few months trying for that again. And adoption, of course, is a beautiful thing and something we've had great experience with. So we'll do that if after a certain amount of time, it doesn't lead to biological pregnancy. Anyway, all that to say, Mm -hmm. um, I have people, clients who seek me out for infertility work, like for counseling specifically on infertility. And I am at a place in my life right now where I am like, come on, girl, come on, brother. Absolutely. It is like, I'm, I'm here for you. I can dive into those spaces with you. We can Mm -hmm. get our hands messy in how it feels that you are struggling with something that you are designed as a woman to be able to do. That's extremely Mm -hmm. frustrating. If Mm -hmm. your body is designed to do something that you cannot do Mm -hmm. and you have no control over, by the way. Mm. So, but, but I will say that with my first, you know, trying to get pregnant with my first son and that not happening, Mm -hmm. I would say in the first two years of that struggle, it would not have been wise of me to take any clients struggling with infertility because I hadn't struggled through it yet. I hadn't Mm -hmm. healed through it. I hadn't gotten to a place, you know, through the Lord and through my own therapeutic work that I, um, you know, was, was confident and grounded in infertility might be my future. It might be my life. I wasn't there yet. I should not have taken on clients who are struggling with infertility, but Mm -hmm. because I've worked so intensely in that, I can absolutely take them on now. But I will say I had a client recently. Well, I guess it's been a few months now. We had two sessions together 
And she shared with me in that second session that what she really needs to work on is that she accidentally got pregnant and she's having a hard time deciding between abortion and adoption. And what would she do? You know, where would she go? Um, how will she know if she places for adoption that the baby would actually be taken care of? And can you imagine what was going on in oh, my mind? I can only imagine. I was just reading a book about adoption this week and thinking about that. And you're like, no, I'm in it, Krista. This is a woman saying this. Oh my gosh. I'm so, wow. So this is a client who is coming to me to help her <sighs> process through making one of these two decisions. Oh, and ultimately I had to, re I had to reveal to her that I am not, you know, we've now had two sessions together. I am not the therapist for you because there's no way that I can be unbiased. There's no, I haven't worked, you know, I, I, I'm still working through that. I'm still possibly going to be adopting a second child. And the only thing I'll be able to think about is how much I want you to choose me to be your adoptive mother. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I can't like, that's completely unethical. You see what I'm saying? Um, so if you have done the hard work, and have healed, mm -hmm. then absolutely walk along someone who's struggling with the same thing. If you are choosing not to do the hard work because you believe as a Christian, you shouldn't be struggling at all. You, you are not in a place yet to take on, you know, walking through a journey with somebody because you're not going to be able to take them very deep. If you haven't gone to those deep places for yourself. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. That's just everything because I know that that took a lot for you to say that to her because you just, you're in this field because you care and because you don't want the wounds of the church to take over in the wrong ways and to shame her when she's finally safely revealing. But you also didn't want to be the one with the counter transference of your own stuff getting right. backed up into her issues. And I think that's such an important concept uh, and why, whether you're a pastor or a friend, because a lot of the listeners are not pastors, this is for you too that don't get your own stuff involved in coaching or counseling a friend as a layperson, because mm -hmm. there's certainly a lot of people within the church that have a certain natural gift that do the work of a professional. And, and sometimes there's a rural environment or dual relationships and we need extra hands on deck and there's not an opportunity for, for professional workers at any rate. You guys need to listen in too to do your work and do it slowly with podcasts, with YouTube, do it, but do it however you can, but do the work. And now that people can Zoom you and talk to you on Talkspace, it's becoming more optional for everybody to do their professional work with a trained professional. And if you're a Christian, there's a lot of Christians. So I love that you said that, Alex. That's awesome. One of the things that as we're passing on before we get to another tip that I want to let you guys know is recently a client reminded me of the same thing that Alex is saying that as much as we want to be perfect as mental health providers, um, a lot of our listeners are being the church. When we say the church, we're talking about you and it's really important that you understand that sometimes you play a bigger role than a mental health uh, provider in somebody's life because you've walked through it. Maybe you've walked through infertility and you're the person that your best friend is going to talk to. And a lot of times, because I work with so many couples, there's a lot of people who are like, my spouse won't let me do therapy. And you know, you're not even with them yet or coaching. And so you're not really going to get in there and say, let me tell you, you have to, or let me get that spouse on the phone. And, and sometimes it just ends up being that this person gets help from their local community for whatever reason. And sometimes I do feel convicted and I do work with 
with trying to get them in, of course. But my general point to you is sometimes you do have a huge gift to offer people. So don't forget that too. Do your own work, but understand that even if you don't come with a title, you might be the person that somebody needs because you're like, yeah, Krista has a title, but I'm the one who's walked through infertility. So I'm going to help you through it, for example. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. In fact, um, you know, just real quick going through infertil- the infertility journey to my first son, the first time I was surrounded by people that were supporting me through the church because they had been through it too. Um, mm-hmm. I walked alongside, you know, a great friend of mine who also has an adopted son because of infertility. And she and I just kind of like, we'd get coffee and just support each other. And then I had another friend who had been through four years of infertility before me, who now has two biological children, by the way, which is so exciting for her. And we would get coffee and sit down across from each other and she would just uh, support me. You know, she would just say, here's everything I did. And I totally understand what this feels like. And infertility is something that, uh, it's really, really difficult to understand unless you've been through it. And I needed her, uh, the one who had been through it before me. And I needed my other friend who was going through it with me. And neither one of them were therapists, anywhere close Mm -hmm. to therapy, to therapists. And that, you know, alongside some therapy throughout that process was exactly what I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, So if therapy, you know, if you, even if it's something like you can't afford therapy or, um, you live in a rural area where it's very hard to access therapy, although COVID has actually helped with making it so that, mm. you know, pretty much every therapist who stayed in any kind of business during this time, <laughs> we're all telemental health uh, therapists now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, t- try your best to get in with someone who can give you skills that you just haven't been trained with yet, skills that you just don't, you haven't developed yet. That's what a therapist is. Mm. but also absolutely utilize those in your church who are just there to walk alongside you and encourage you and listen. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I love that. What's another tip that people can take? Number two is create spaces for honesty. Um, Mm. And so something that we did through our counseling services in our church was we created something called crumple stories, um, which was, you know, we just got a group of folks together Um, usually about 20 people together and everybody just kind of wrote like a snapshot of their messy testimony. And we crinkled up the story and threw it to the front of the room so that no one knew whose story it was. And then the facilitator, which, which was me would come around and collect all the stories, put it in a bowl, and then we would pass out the stories. So you're not getting your same story, but you're still hearing all the stories of all the different people in this room and what this was, this creating you know, space for honesty, was an opportunity to say, you have probably seen all of these people at church, and you've probably thought to yourself, all of these people are normal, perfectly put together people. But here we are, and it's completely anonymous because we don't use pronouns. We don't use anything that's going to give away any confidential Perfect. information. Of course, my mind went right there. I'm right? like scared to death over here. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so I and love that you all, address this. Right. That's all in the training up front. We don't use this. We don't say this. We don't, you know, we make mm-hmm. it so, and we all write with the same color pen and on the same piece of paper. Um, so there's no way to know who has, you know, which story, but what that did was it created space for people to look around and go, I thought you were perfect, 
now I realize you're human. Mm-hmm. So creating, you know, and, and maybe you do it creatively like that, or maybe you just do it where you make it part of your DNA, part of your church culture, that honesty is allowed here. Mm. And we can handle wow. your honesty. We can handle your mess. Honesty, realness is allowed here in church. It's the only place where we can grow is when we feel safe and vulnerable with people. And when we're putting certain people up on pedestals, which we tend to do with pastors and leaders in our lives and mental health professionals, we forget that they're human too. I love that. Be honest about your story. Right. Wow. Beautiful. And that goes right. Oh, no, go right ahead. Sorry. (laughs) It goes right along into number three, which is just listen and validate. Um, Mm. Something something we say in the mental health world is no healing can take place until validation occurs. So if someone has been in it through a traumatic experience and the effect of of that traumatic experience is a negative result or, you know, harmful, whatever it might be. As soon as someone can say you were absolutely in a traumatic situation or that absolutely was abuse or that absolutely like we cannot heal until we have heard validation of our wound, that it was Mm -hmm. real, that it really did happen. Mm -hmm. And part of like part of crumple stories was another really beautiful way of doing that. We're just listening. And then we're also all kind of debriefing like, gosh, hearing that story of, you know, yada, yada with the yada, yada. I can't imagine going through that. And whoever's in that room who experienced that, I just want you to know you are so loved Mm. unconditionally. And we're so happy you're here. We're so happy you survived. You know, how beautiful that validation is. Absolutely. It's so healing because we all imagine that our stuff is so much harder and more difficult. And we can't really say on a level whose is harder, but just makes you feel normal, makes you feel connected. And there's no hierarchy. That's beautiful. Yeah. So just in the church, you know, creating a culture of listening and validating, not a culture of, you know, um, giving advice when you're not asked for advice, um, talking at people or preaching at people. Um, you know, that, that's what we, we want to create a culture in the church of simply just listening and validating and supporting and being holding space for people. And then mm-hmm. I wrote a little note here. Remember, they are the expert in their own lives. They are the expert in their story, in their history, in their trauma, mm-hmm. not you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what the church, you know, what, what we do in the church is we'll hear someone's story and then we'll tell them how they should respond to it or how they should, you know, have moved on by now or how they should have, um, have been affected by it. Mm-hmm. And all that does when someone is telling you what your experience should have been like for you, all that does is push them away and lets them know right away that you're not safe because you're telling them you're, you're getting into an area that you do not have the right to be in. Right. Mm -hmm. So remember that they are the expert in their life, not you and create spaces for listening and validating, holding space for people. Yes. Not just like, oh, that stinks, that happened to you. Okay, now get to work. Right. Well, and I hear so often, you know, even sometimes from clients who go to the same church, which is always confidential, always held with tons of boundaries. Mm-hmm. But I'll hear, you know, and I have heard in the past that they'll say things like, you know, I, I shared this with my pastor and, 
and you know, like after so long, he came back to me and he said, you really should be over this by now. You really just need to, you know, move on with your life. It's taking way too long. You're talking about this, you know, being a problem in your life for far too long. It's time for you to be over it. Mm. Wow. And clearly she's not over it. Clearly she has not grieved. Clearly she has not healed because she was traumatized. And there's no way that the pastor can understand that trauma the way she is because she's, he's not her and he didn't experience the trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. And even if he did experience a similar trauma, he did not grow up in the same household with all the same, you know, social environment and same situation. So, so it's like comparing apples and oranges. You just can't tell someone where they should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important that you said that one because when pastors or otherwise, all of us kind of just take that space and say, you've gone on for too long. We can joke about it together and laugh a little bit. I've had a lot of two clients and friends say that to me. In fact, like, I know you're just done hearing about my codependency. I know you're just done knowing that I'm not making changes in spaces. And it's like, girl, I'm back there. You know, we're all back there. Sometimes there was an old Cademan's call years back song that said he was looking through this old box of letters and he really was embarrassed to find out that he was still struggling with the same old issues as he was you know, 10, 20 years later. And that's all of us. So there's levels of growth and we love to see it. And of course you and I being a seven and three, we really love those goals and to see yeah. it, but we also have to admit we're human too. And just being together and being in it with people is what people really want and seek with a church. It's all about community. It's not about worker bees. It's about being together in our messes, stopping and pausing. And that's why I'm so insistent. If you don't have time for a client, don't take one because it takes time. It takes effort. It takes thought outside of the session. Of course, boundaries, like you said, Alex, especially where there's still relationships, but right. thank you. What's number four? Four is simply read scripture through the lens of trauma. Because if, if you do, if you start, like if you open your Bible with that, okay, like I'm going to look for trauma. I'm going to look for these things maybe where I would have missed it before. You will notice that in scripture, there is mental illness. There is suicidality. Mm -hmm. There is, you know, people wanting to take their life. There's trauma. There's lamenting. There's Mm -hmm. crying out to the Lord. There's depression. It's all over the Bible. And so what I would encourage you to do is read scripture through that lens and then listen, like pay attention to how Jesus responds, how God responds in the moments of depression, suicidality, whatever it might be. And that's how we're called to respond. Jesus does not shame. Jesus gets in the mess. He sits and he listens. He encourages, but he doesn't shame. That's not who Jesus was. To start to read scripture through the lens of trauma. And then number five is continue in your own healing journey. Just keep going with it. Because if we heal on an individual level, then our marriages will be stronger and healthier. If we start with the individual healing, marriages will be stronger. If our marriages are stronger, then our families will be stronger. If our families are stronger, then our churches will be stronger. If our churches are stronger, then our community at large will be stronger. 
Mm. So it all starts with the individual level. So just continue on your own healing journey. And those Ooh, are the and five I love that. Tips. Oh my gosh. And those are the five tips. Yay. Yeah. And your social work journey is just coming full circle with this too, as I see what you're really striving for here, which is the the holistic approach of every level of healing and how it will spread out to the world as people do this one by one, step by step, starting with themselves. Right. That's really what you said was the heart of your work. And I see how beautifully it plays out as you talk about your path for people. And it's absolutely a doable path. It starts with you doing your work. Even we said baby step your way through, continue the work, understand your boundaries when you're kind of hitting an impasse and you need to take a Sabbath or you need to take a sabbatical, a longer period of time and, and pass off work to others. There's so many people who would love to partner with you in your ministry. And sometimes God even brings people around that you can't imagine, like you said, just friends that will hold your hand when you're like, oh, I can't see a therapist right now. So there's all kinds of provisions that you're going to find, but you do have to reach out and take that step, which we know is scary. Mm -hmm. So I do want to make sure we leave you with a couple of resources and you can check out everything this week on the Instagram that we both have and tell us what your Instagram is too. So we have yours. Absolutely. And I, and I will also put it out there that if you live in the state of Georgia, I would love for you to reach out. If you're thinking that therapy like is, is a good thing for you right now, reach out and I can get you connected either with myself or one of our therapists, as long as you live in the state of Georgia. Oh, um, wonderful. My Instagram, um, which I'm very communicative with, I love engaging with folks via Instagram, is um, Alexandra Thompson underscore LCSW. Um, my counseling center, our little counseling center, we have one too, and that's at Cumberland Counseling, if you're interested, but that's just tips and sort of like, here's the counselors, here's who we are. And then if you're interested in my email address, you can email me directly as well. That's my first and last name, Alexandra Thompson at cumberlandchurch.org. And the website, if you want to visit our website because you're interested in getting started in therapy, if you live in Georgia, is the same thing. It's cumberlandchurch.org slash counseling. Oh, wow. That is awesome. That is so cool. And I want to make sure people know that whatever state they live in, I mean, wow, now I want to move to Georgia. I'm like, I want to come there. But we have a great staff here in Florida too. And you guys know that we have coaches and you are welcome to work with my amazing coach, Melissa, on my team who can work with you in any state. But this is different. And you got to hear from a therapist today. So you're, you're hearing there's a level of care that goes super deep with a therapist and with a coach, it goes super far and they're just different, but they're very similar. They're basically relatives in the world mm -hmm. of caring for people. So you'll know what your need is. And then of course, there's also links that I'm going to share to the other places out there. If you're thinking, no, I just want to keep it separate, or I want to see if I can use my insurance with something. You can go to talkspace.com and find out about some of the therapists in your area. That's one that a lot of people like to go to as well. So I'll leave a few more in the show notes this week, but I'm just so thankful for your work in the church. I just want to say like from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. It's sincerely close to my soul to be able to do work like this with you, Alex. Oh, well, thank you so much. And is it all right if I leave one last little encouraging Absolutely. note? Yes. So what we do as operating a clinical counseling center inside the walls of the church, 
we can actually, we've started a nonprofit called Cumberland Counseling Centers, which replicates what we do in the church into other churches. So if you are listening right now and you're on a church staff or you are a volunteer at a church or you're just really engaged in your church and you're thinking, oh my gosh, we've been having conversations like this. We have already been thinking that we need to do more for mental health in the church and bridging that gap. I would actually be interested in seeing if we can get a clinical counseling center in the church. What our nonprofit is designed for is getting your church up and running with a clinical counseling center where we handle all the liability. We, it's basically like we give you a clinic in a box. Like we just hand you this Mm. nice package um, and your church gets to be a incredible resource to your entire community, both Christians and non-Christians alike. And we can sort of help in a big, big way. We can help get your church set up to be able to offer that incredible resource. So if you're interested, reach out to me and I can tell you more about how to make that happen in your church. Oh my goodness. That is phenomenal. I love that you guys have that. That is fascinating. And I had no idea actually, even when I had you on the show that you were going to offer that amazing service. So, so why don't you go ahead and share your email one more time? Sure. It's my first and last name, Alexandra Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N at cumberlandchurch.org. Okay. Thank you so much. This has been awesome, and I just so appreciate your time today. I know everybody listening does so much. What an amazing, well-informed three. Wow, we are so blessed. (laughs) Thank you so much. You have such a wonderful day, Alex. Oh, Thank you, Krista, and thank you for taking the time to have me come on. You have a good day, too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Wow. Thank you so much. It was so awesome to have Alexandra and she really blessed us all. I know you were probably just as blessed as me. I want to leave you guys with some resources, not only talkspace.com. If you need a therapist, you can also always visit my site, anygramandmarriage.com. But I especially want to leave you with a couple of others. If you're just in a difficult spot or even a spot where you're really struggling, and that is the suicide hotline, which is one 800 And I want to let you know that we have another service out there for those who just want to text. And that is so everything nowadays, right? When you're just feeling like I'm just not feeling happy or I don't know if I feel ready to talk to somebody, you can dial 741-741 and just text the word start. Another line you can actually look at is if you just want to talk with 211, a lot of areas have the 211 and that is a local crisis line that you can find out what's in your specific area. And then one last crisis line for mental health issues is 1-800-273-TALK. So I want you to have all those resources so that you guys are ready for whatever's next and that you can take the steps you need to get healing. And I'm so proud of you for sticking to the end of this episode. If you're one of those types that likes to get moving and you want to get goal oriented, just know that we have to do our deeper work first before we can move forward. So this is an episode for the deeper work. And for those of us who don't always think of that, to be mindful of those doing their deeper work, that is awesome. And that is truly us at our very best is loving ourselves and loving others. So take care, you guys. Have an awesome week. See ya. See ya.